As fallen creatures redeemed by grace, we are susceptible to being tossed about to and fro. What we need is stability. That which God graciously provides, as we'll see next on this edition of Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse. From Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City, greetings and welcome to today's broadcast. We're continuing our series on spiritual stability, and today we're taking a look at principles that produce spiritual stability, uh, such as thankful prayer, the godly virtues we're to be thinking about, and the obedience we're called to in God's standards. These are all parts of that stability that we long for as Christians. If you're looking for a little bit of stability and a wave and sea of instability, you've come to the right place. Join us for today's broadcast of Graceful Truth. We're looking again at Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 9. Here's Pastor Steve Converse now with today's broadcast. I think one of the, the problems in our Christian culture today is that there's a strong reflection on a certain man-centered theology. And basically throughout the years in theology, there's been two schools of thought. There's been a God-centered theology and there's been a man-centered theology. There's a theology out there that believes that man is pretty much sovereign. He's the one that calls the shots. On the other end of the opposite pole is there's the thinking that, well, wait a minute, no. Who am I to call the shots? God is sovereign. And this argument has been around for years. And so the primary difference between those two schools of thought is basically one believes man is sovereign and the other one believes God is sovereign. That's the primary difference. And it's very subtly creeping into the church that somehow man is sovereign. The traditional reformed theological view that God is sovereign is kind of falling by the wayside. I mean, they believe that God is hopeful, they believe God is helpful, but they believe that man is sovereign. And it comes out, it fleshes itself out in this manner. They believe that somehow, speaking of salvation, that you've got to find it within yourself to come to Christ. Somehow, you've got to find it within yourself, not only to come to Christ, but you've got to find it within yourself to stay with Christ. Not only that, but you've got to find it within yourself to somehow accomplish your spiritual goals and to win your spiritual victories with the knowledge that God is hopeful and that God is helpful. And because He'd like to see you in heaven one day, if you could work it out to be there. And given the right conditions on your part, He'll come along and give you whatever assistance you need. But it's up to you. Because you're the one that's in control. You're the one that's calling the shots. I don't know. I read my Bible, I just don't see that in Scripture anywhere. So what happens with that kind of theology? Well, the first thing that happens is that a man may profess Christ. They think himself to be a Christian because someone said, well, you need to pray this prayer, so they pray the prayer. So they think they're a Christian, but they've never really experienced any shattering confidence within themselves. They've never been humbled because of their own sinfulness. They've never, you know, understood the true, just ineptability within themselves to save themselves because somebody told them, well, if you do this one thing, then you'll be saved. If you pray this prayer, if you, if you accept Jesus, if you, whatever, it's a cheapening of the gospel. And you hear it all the time. Come down front and say a prayer. Raise your hand. Do all these things. You know, do jumping jacks, whatever. None of that has anything to do with coming to Christ. 
But a person who believes that it's a man-centered salvation believes that salvation is something that he chooses to do on his own. And what happens after he's saved? He sits back and says, look at what I did. And you hear it all the time. You hear it in people's testimonies. Yeah, I lived this life. Forever. And finally, if I had the sense to come to Christ, you had the sense? You had the understanding that you should just, you just woke up one day and said, oh, I need to commit my life to Christ. You came up with that idea on your own? So what happens? You have these people that are professing Christians, but they've never experienced any kind of a shattering of their own pride and their own confidence. They even believe that they have the power to choose salvation. And if they believe they have the power to choose salvation, guess what they believe? They believe that they have the power to unchoose salvation. I mean, can you imagine facing death, lying on your bed, the doctor saying, okay, you're probably going to die tonight. And you lay there wondering if you've done enough, if you've done enough to be saved in light of your sin. So in your mind, you probably have these scales. Let's see, my sin, my good works. What kind of stability is that? Can you imagine battling in your heart that feeling that you might be saved or you might not be saved if you've committed this too many sins or you may be disqualified, whatever? I mean, there sure is a lot of security in that, isn't there? I think there's a lot of anxiety in that. See, unfortunately, they've never come to their, their wit's end because they believe that somehow deep inside they still have something that helps them get saved, even if it's simply choosing. And so they really never totally understand what it means to totally, totally trust God because they believe their God is hopeful and helpful rather than sovereign. Consequently, their lives are filled with anxiety. They don't understand the sovereign God, therefore they don't understand the sovereign grace. Therefore, they don't understand the total divine working power of the eternal God on his behalf. They don't understand what it was that he was chosen by God, that he was redeemed by God, that he's kept by God, and that he'll be glorified by God. And that every trial we face in our lives is somehow under God's sovereign control. See, we have to stop and we have to remember who our God is. See, if you don't understand that God is sovereign, if you don't understand that God oversees all this, there's no way we're going to be able to look at how we can be anxious for nothing. I mean, can you imagine not having spiritual stability in the area of your own salvation, security of your own salvation? And I'm not talking about a, a cheapening of the gospel that says, oh, you know, people say, oh, once saved, always saved. I don't believe that. I'm talking about a perseverance of the saints, which is very scriptural. That's what the Bible says. So if you're going to be stable in tough times, we better have a proper view of who God is. We've got to trust in a sovereign God, a God of grace, a God of power. And we need to understand who He is. Spurgeon once said this, If you believe that everything turns on the free will of man, you will naturally have man as the principal figure in your landscape. That's true. See, now you're really stuck with a dilemma because you know that weak man is, how weak man is and you know how fickle man is. So why would you want him in control of anything? I think people with the right theological viewpoint shouldn't have these anxiety problems to, the, to that extent. I mean, we believe in a sovereign God. We believe in a God that's over all of our, our trials, our tribulations, everything. And see, the problem is, is that theology even works its way deeper into churches to the point that where, where they give man undue power. I mean, if you have power to choose your own salvation and save yourself... Well, then, what's the big deal about, you know, binding Satan? After all, you're in control. I mean, you ever stop and think about that? It's just silly. You know, people praying, binding Satan, binding demons. What are they doing? 
So I mean, when they when they pray, you know, I bind you, Satan, in the name of Jesus Christ. Does that mean Satan literally goes, oh, can't do anything. I'm bound. Does somebody come along and say, well, now you're unbound. Okay, now I can work. It's, it's just ridiculous. It's toilet theology. That's what I call it. You know, people running around, I, I, I bind you, Satan. I command Satan. I, they have an improper view of who Satan is. You see it on the television all the time. You hear it on Christian radio all the time. Two things about Satan. You know what? First of all, Satan doesn't listen to you. Do you understand that? Satan does not listen to you. Who do you think you are? What do you think you're doing? You don't have the power to tell him to do one thing. And why in the world would he do it anyway? If you think about it, most of us can't even get our own kids to obey us. And we think we're going to go command Satan? Hello? Some of you are saying, well, nah, we won't go there. See, the Bible says that even Michael the archangel in the book of Jude wouldn't bring an accusation against Satan. Now, we're talking about an angelic being that just may be a little more powerful than we are. That was territory he didn't even belong in. And you see, that comes out in this theology that says man is powerful. Man is his own, you know, the, the, his own destiny and all this stuff. I mean, personally, I've got nothing to say to demons. I've got nothing to say to Satan. And if you look through the Bible in the New Testament, you know, there's no illustration really that, that anybody ever talked to Satan. If you really honestly look at it, nobody's going around the New Testament, Satan, get away. Oh, we, buy, we do this, we do that. I command you. It's crazy. Furthermore, I think if you believe in that kind of theology, it tells me another thing. It tells me that you must be a pretty very, very powerful individual because the Bible says the one who does have control over Satan is who? God. <laughs> and if you're running around taking over for him, I think you got a little bit of an exalted view of yourself. I think that, that God is perfectly capable to deal with Satan and all the demons, and we just need to focus our hearts and our minds on who God is and get to know him better. I mean, if you've got to complain against the powers of darkness, then go to the one who's over all the powers of darkness, and that's our living God. And it's, it's just basically weak theology. And I think that we need to, to look at that strongly and not buy into that. Well, he finally comes to verse 6. <laughs> and you're saying, what was all that about? I said, I don't know. But we've talked about these virtues here. Peace, love, joy, humility, faith. All that adds to our stability. Well, the next one in the list there is basically reacting to problems with thankful prayer. Reacting to your problems with thankful prayer. Why would you do that? Because God is sovereign. Okay, that's kind of my excuse why I just went through that litany of stuff that I just shared with you. It says in verse 6, Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication and thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. Now, this isn't a, a section of scripture that deals with the theology of prayer. That's not his point. He's basically emphasizing the importance of prayer and the attitude of prayer. He's not getting into all the theological issues of prayer. Now, there's three different words here used for prayer. And they're translated prayer, supplication, and uh, request, depending on where you're, what translation you're using. Um, they all have to do with peti petitions and with the assumption that, that you, you've kinda, you're going to get into a problem and you're going to cry out to God. That's, that's the purpose. I mean, it's natural, right? I mean, when you get into a problem, hopefully you cry out to God. I know I do. 
But what Paul is, is saying here, instead of crying out to God in your difficulty with doubt and questionings and dissatisfaction and all that, cry out to God with what attitude? Thanksgiving. You say, why? Well, because you know that he's the God of promise who has promised that nothing's ever going to come into your life that's too much for you to bear. That he is the God of promise who's working all things together for your good. He's the God of promise who is causing you to suffer a while. First Peter 5.10, sorry. First Peter 5.10. Look at what he says here. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by, Jesus, by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while. In other words, that's just part of the plan. See, this, this pie-in-the-sky Christianity that, that says, oh, you know, you're going to get saved and health, wealth, and all that stuff. No, you know what? As believers, we're called to what? We're called to suffer. We're called to understand the sufferings of Christ. That's what he says there. After you've suffered a while, in other words, that's just part of the plan, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. That's what the, the, the God of all grace will do through these trials that you're going through. In other words, you know what? You're going to see difficulty in all God's purpose for you. And you know what? We want to thank Him for that. Why? Because it's going to make us stable. It's going to make us perfect, mature. It's going to strengthen us in our walk. And God will never violate <clears throat> that promise. I mean, that's, that's why, just stay there in 1 Peter 5. Jump back to verse 7. I mean, verse 6, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Doesn't sound like man's in control here. That He may exalt you in due time. And then look at what it says in verse 7. Casting all your care upon Him. Why? Because He cares for you. See, when you pray and you supplicate and you request to God in the process of doing all that, we're to do it with thanksgiving. We're to do it with a, a thankful heart for His purposes, for His providence, thankfulness for His power, thankfulness for His promises that He's made, for His perfecting work in our lives. We want to have a thankfulness for the, the, the hope of relief that our sins are forgiven. A thankfulness for the hope of glory that He promises. A thankfulness that we're in His will. We should be thankful that He's doing exactly what He wants to do, the way He wants to do it. And He's going to accomplish everything He wants to in your life. See, prayer should always be thankfulness. Sometimes, you know, you, you go to a prayer meeting, man, it's depressing. It's just depressing. A lot of times, first thing we do with prayer meeting, what do we do? Share all our problems. I got my list right here. Let's see, we need to pray for Anna Emma. She's got this. And I'm not trying to make light of that. But I'm just saying we need to get the right focus here. And we need to come to God with a thankful heart. When's the last time you were in a prayer meeting and you heard somebody say, You know what? God, I thank you that Aunt Emma is having difficulties right now physically. When have you heard that? See, we need to change our thinking. Because God's in control. Sometimes maybe God has people going through physical problems because He's trying to get their attention. And they're not listening. So He's cranking up the... They eat a little bit. Romans 8.28 says that God orchestrates all these things. All things. All, not all things are good, but He orchestrates all these things for His good. For my good and His glory. You know, when you have a problem, God knows what the problem is. And God's perfectly capable to deal with it, no matter what it is. I mean, I'm thankful that, you know, I don't serve a God that just leaves us up in the air. Well, you know, I forgave all your sins back there, but, you know, you've got to get from here to glory on your own, pal. I never make it. I wouldn't make it out of this building. I mean, let's just be honest. None of us would. We're sinners saved by grace. And we need to get the right thinking here. 
We need to stop. We need to thank God that He knows our problems, that He can deal with the problems. We need to thank God for His power and His knowledge and all that He promises will come to fruition. All three of those words, by the way, refer to a specific direct request. Prayer, supplication, request. They're all the same. They all assume that in difficulty, you go to God. That's just the bottom line. But the issue is you go to God with a thankful heart, even though you're in the midst of difficulty. When you can sit back and you can think God is in control of everything in your life, and you understand that God is a God that's more powerful than any circumstances you find yourself in, and that somehow He's going to rot out His will in your life, and in the lives of your family, or whatever. Tell you why, you sleep a lot better at night. You just do. When you understand that the Bible says that our God supplies all of our needs. If you understand that God knows everything in your life and He cares about it. If you understand that God has power for every difficulty that's available to you. If you understand that God is perfecting you to be like Christ. He's doing it, not you. He's doing it in you. If you understand that nothing escapes God and nothing is outside of His tolerance and His purposes, then why would we fear? Why would we be anxious about anything? It's all in His plan. It's all in His purpose. I mean, we need a healthy dose of, re dose of spiritual reality here. What's the result of a thankful heart? Well, look at verse 7. We'll close with this. Back in Philippians 4, verse 7. When you have a thankful heart, when you understand the sovereign God of the universe, and He's on your side, what? And the peace of who? God will surpass, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ. You're looking for tranquility, you're looking for contentment in that rat race you find out there of life. Some inner calm in the midst of the craziness around you. Well, look at what it promises in verse 7. In the middle of difficulty, when you're pleading and you're supplicating and you're praying to God and you have a thankful heart, you know what? The answer to the prayer is not the issue. You understand that? The answer to your little prayer is not the issue. That's not the point. It doesn't say that if you pray and you supplicate and your request be made known to God with thanksgiving, they don't answer your prayer and give you anything you want. doesn't say that, but that's how we think. It says nothing about an answer. It says whatever the answer may be and whenever the answer will come, God will give you what? God will give you peace, right? That's the issue. It's not the answer to the prayer. Peace is the issue. Well, what is the peace of God? Well, it's the peace that God possesses and He gives to us through Christ. It's an inward peace. It's a God-like peace in us. That's what, that's what gives us that calm. It's a gift from God to the one who prays thankfully. As you exist, as I exist in an environment of love and peace, and we're a peacemaker, and we focus on our relationship to the living Christ, and as we have a humble heart, we're not demanding things, our rights or whatever it may be, and you, we begin to understand our sovereign God, and we understand God and we trust Him. In the midst of grave, difficult circumstances, when we're pouring our hearts out to God, and we're doing it with thanksgiving, God says, you know what? I'll respond to you with peace. I'll dispense peace to you. That's the promise. He grants you peace. Listen to Isaiah 26.3. It says, The steadfast of mind thou wilt keep in what? Perfect peace. Because he trusts in thee. What are you trusting in this morning? Are you trusting in yourself? You're not going to have much peace. You're not going to have much calm. You're really not going to have much of anything, to be honest with you. But when you trust in God, you get a steadfast mind. God keeps you in peace. And you know what? That's how to face life with stability. There's so much wrong advice. There's so much trust in man's ability. And there's so much distrust in God's sovereignty that we really have, have sent people down the wrong path. And I don't care what the problem is you're facing. It doesn't make any difference. Anxiety, 
psychosis, neurosis, whatever you want to call it. I don't care. I want you to understand that, you know what? You need to understand who God is. And that God is beyond that problem. He, he's more powerful than that problem. We can take every issue of life with a thankful heart. And as we pray and we ask Him for deliverance in the midst of it all, it's a promise of the Word of God that He will give you peace. And that peace there in verse 7, it says, you know what, you, you can't even understand it. <laughs> it's beyond your comprehension. That's the kind of peace we're talking about. It's not rational. It transcends your own intellect. It transcends analysis. It transcends man's insights. It transcends man's understanding. You can't even define it. You can't explain it. It's not human. It's sent by God Himself. And you know what? You don't go to man for that kind of peace. You go to God. So many times, you know, you hear people coming counseling. Oh, we've got to go to a counselor. You know, go to God. Go to God. Share your problem with God. Don't you think that He's perfectly capable of fixing whatever the problem is? Put your trust in Him. There's no counselor in the world that can give you that kind of peace that He promises. There's no therapy in the world that can give you that kind of peace. There's no technique. It's the gift of God to a believer who so confidently understands and trusts in his God that he's thankful. Even in the midst of a trial, out of that thanksgiving, God responds by granting him this supernatural, beyond understanding, incomprehensible peace. The world's offering a lot of cheap substitutes for that today. We need to stop and we need to go back to the God of the Bible and say, God, you know what, this is what your word says. Do I believe it? Do I believe it? People are trying to create perfect peace all over the place. They don't like the way they look. They don't like the way they're shaped. They don't like the way their mother treated them. They don't like the way their father treated them. They were abused. They were misunderstood. They were treated poor, properly, improperly. They don't like the way their husband treats them. They don't like the way their wife treats them. They don't like the way their kids are turning out. They don't like the place they live. They hate their job. And all these things just kind of build up inside us and then you wonder why people are a little anxious on the freeways. Hello? You know, sooner or later we learn that we're all fallen people. We're all living a fallen world. That's the way it's going to be. And the great reality is that our glorious sovereign God has overruled all of that. John 16, 33. Leave you with this. In this world, you shall have what? Tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I mean, I hope you can say amen to that this morning. Because when we are going to start living the supernatural life on a supernatural plane and, and accept that, you know what, yeah, we do live in a fallen world and that's the way it's going to be, but we serve a God who's overcome all that. And He's given us the ability to have peace in the midst of all that. Then you'll truly understand the God that you serve. And that, that peace that He grants us will, will just, it says there, it will guard your hearts. Guard you from what? Anxiety, from doubt, from fear, from distress. It's a military term. It literally means to keep guard over or protect. That's the result of it. If we're going to trust in somebody, let's trust in God. Let's not trust in ourselves. Amen? Well, it's our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. We trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come out and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m., and we offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children through grade 5. If you'd like to encourage us here at the Graceful Truth Program, give us a call at the Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. 650-366-9923 or visit our website gracefultruth.org And now to conclude our time together with a quick look at a special event coming up here's Pastor Steve Converse once again Steve? Thanks Andy I'd like to share some exciting information with the ladies in our listening audience 
Ladies, we have a real blessing for you coming up on Saturday, October 6th here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We'll be hosting women's speaker and author Cynthia Heald for our fall women's tea. Cynthia uses her speaking engagements and Bible studies and books to encourage women around the world to deepen their relationship with God. I'm sure you're familiar with her popular Becoming a Woman of Bible Study series, which includes the best-selling Becoming a Woman of Excellence and Becoming a Woman of Freedom. The focus of our women's tea this year here at Grace Bible Church, Redwood City, on October 6th will be her book, Uncommon Beauty, Seven Qualities of a Beautiful Woman. You know firsthand, ladies, how hectic the world can be today and the demands that are placed upon you. Well, we want to give you the opportunity to break away from your routine for just one Saturday afternoon and come together for some great fellowship and teaching based on God's Word. Why not plan on being here Saturday, October 6th from 1130 to 3 p.m. for a wonderful time of fellowship and teaching from Cynthia on uncommon beauty, seven qualities of a beautiful woman. I'm sure you'll enjoy the time together and walk away with a renewed sense of purpose and commitment to Christ. All the registration information can be found on our church website at gracebibleonline.org. That's gracebibleonline.org. There's a registration form available online. You simply download it, fill it out, and mail it to the address given with your registration fee. If you have any questions, you can simply call us here at Grace Bible Church, Redwood City, 650-366-9923. I'd like to encourage you to register early because we have limited seating. Well, once again, we'd like to thank you for listening to Graceful Truth each weekend. And it would be a wonderful encouragement to us to hear from you about how this program has been a blessing to your hearts. Thank you, Steve. Friend, thank you for joining us here today on Graceful Truth. Until next week at the same time, God bless. (music) 